0: But the Bible, and this is a lesson today, you're going to learn that as Christians, we can be content with what God gives us because he takes care of us, and he knows how to do it really, really good. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for these children. I thank you for those that brought them parents and guardians, and I ask your blessing upon them today as they go downstairs, as they learn from your word, and that your spirit would just speak truth, sow those good seeds, help them to understand it, and apply it to their lives And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can go that way. Have a wonderful time in Sunday school. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1. We'll be looking at some verses there in a few moments, but John chapter 1... And we're looking at a series and starting a series today on the four-chair discipleship series. And if you're good at math, you'll notice that there's four chairs. Oh, one of my props has fallen. And these are all going to make sense over the next four weeks as we take a look at God's Word, as we uh, look at ourselves, try and figure out where we are in relation to the chairs and how we can effectively meet the needs in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission. This uh, series, Four Chairs, and it's based on a book that I got at one of the conferences by Dan Spader. Now, that probably doesn't ring a bell, but if you're over 50 and you were in youth group and leadership and all that, how many have heard of Sun Life? Sun, okay, good. Thank you. I will pay you afterwards. I saw those hands. Sun Life was a program and still is a youth generated program of making disciples, of making the gospel connect in people's hearts who are unbelievers that have a need in how even young people can go and share their story so more young people like themselves can know about Jesus, his great love for them, and then tell the story to someone else. And it's a discipleship based movement. So, Dan Spader from all of his years of experience, has put together this picture for us in just four chairs. And we're going to be looking at those in a few moments. But it's the process of discipleship, which moves us from a seeker to a believer to a worker to a disciple-maker. And um, I love this picture. I love this idea. Now, when you hear the word disciple, what, what comes into your mind? It's probably the number 12, right? 12 disciples, and that makes sense. The Bible says that there were more disciples. There were 70 at one point, and then there was more than 70. And some of the disciples even found it too hard to follow Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that they left. They walked away from Jesus. And that's so hard for me to get my head around. (coughs) Why would anyone who knows Jesus Christ, who saw him in person, witnessed what he said, what he did, the miracles, the parables, and things started clicking that they would walk away from Jesus, who the world The Jewish world had been looking for the Messiah over all the years. And then John Baptist points his finger and says, there he is. People start following them, but then there's a turnaround and they walk away. I, I don't know why. I just know it happens. As Christians, we have to keep on in our relationship with the Lord. So we don't walk away from him. We continually walk to him. And that's the idea of disciple and discipleship. God has a plan for your life today. And that plan is not that you just get saved and and that you're safe, but that you do something with your salvation that you tell the next person. Whoever that next person is, it's as simple as that and build the relationship. The word disciple definition would be a Christian disciple is a person who accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with the Lord basically a follower of Christ who walks away from his old self and walks in the direction of Jesus Christ to become more like him. Discipleship is a little more. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, equipped by the Holy Spirit to reach the lost, fulfilling the great commission by the great commandment. It's a disciple who disciples others. That might be a new concept for you. Maybe discipleship is a new word for you. Maybe you're a new Christian. You've never heard that there's a process <clears throat> in your Christianity that uh, there's a work to be done that affects and influences someone else. Maybe you thought, if I can just you know, say the Lord's Prayer, invite Jesus into my heart, then I'm good for the rest of my life and I don't have to do anything because I'm saved. But there's so much more. I want to look at what the great commandment is, and here's what the scripture says. Let's read it out together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It speaks of motives, doesn't it? To love God and love others. If we can do that, then the great commission will just happen naturally. If it comes out of a changed life, love for Jesus, then we will make a difference, and then we can love others. The Great Commission is this, and we're going to read it together. (coughs) If you can... um, Oh, I was just going to ask for a water, and here comes Karen. Wonderful. Well, as she comes, let's read it, all right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son... And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This deals with our mission and priorities to go. When you think of it, thanks Karen. When you think of it, the great commandment and the great commission go hand in hand. Really, you can't have one without the other. God wants to put them together, I believe, in our lives as Christians so that we just don't know the only, know the truth and it sets us free, but that we pass it on to someone who's lost in their sin and that they understand that salvation is a free gift, that they themselves can be free from their sin and their spiritual darkness and know the Lord in such a personal way that changes everything about them. The idea of, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the earth, has the idea of keep on keeping on in the whole discipleship process of going and continue going to others, to one person, to the next person throughout all time. And that works because you're here sitting in church. You're here saved. That whole process of the great commandment and the great commission has trickled down through people To you, today, someone shared the good news with you. The great commission maybe should be called the great go-mission, that we are to go. Or maybe the do-mission, I mentioned this before, that we are to make disciples. That's what we are to do. For some, it it might be the great omission, thinking that it's for someone else, that it's really not important, that they don't have to do it, that uh, other super-Christians can perhaps do it. But I want you to take a look at this chart. It might be a little small. But this is from the Barner Research, and it identifies churchgoers. Have you heard of the Great Commission? So the churchgoers were asked, 51% said no. 17% yes, and it means, and they spell it out. 25% yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning. That's interesting, isn't it? The next one, from their research, and I know that's going to be hard for you to read, but I'll just give you a snapshot of it. It says... Do churchgoers recognize the Great Commission, among other verses? Thirty-seven percent recognized the Great Commission when they saw it. There were 16 percent who thought that it was the Great Commandment. Eight percent thought it was, I am the way and the truth and life. So those are familiar verses, and I thought, well, maybe that's that's the Great Commission. Um, Five percent thought it was, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. 2% thought that it was give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. I I don't know how they got that one, but 2% picked that one. Found that interesting. And then 30% were not sure if any of these passages are the Great Commission. Why am I saying that? It's, It's to point to the fact that church people and the unchurched really don't know a whole lot about it. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm saying there's so much that God wants to do to move us in the right direction. So that not only will we know the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, but that we'll do something with it, that we'll understand it. And that comes out of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that everyone can experience. Maybe you're here today, and this is all new to you. You've never accepted Christ into your heart. You don't know what the word gospel is, or commission, or commandment. You think this is really confusing. Well, I want you to know that you're in the right place today, that this is God's house and we care about you. And if there's anything we could help you on your faith journey to understand it a bit more, to encourage you, we want to do that today. Maybe it comes out of this message. Maybe it's a Bible that we can give you or just to simply sit down and talk to you, to listen to you and to pray with you. Whatever we can do, we want to help you on that journey. There's one more interesting thing, and it's uh, the demographic of ages. And the age categories of people who are familiar with the Great Commission by generation, the elders, that's in the red, that's the older ones, born before 1946, um, have heard and remembered the Great Commission, 29%. That's the majority of them. The boomers, age 46 to 64, uh, born between 46 and 64. I always thought I was a boomer, but I'm not. I'm a Generation X, and that really threw me when I did the math. I'm thinking... Man, i got to change a lot. <laughs> Anyways, the, the, uh, the boomers are at 26%. The Generation Xers, born between 1965 and 79, they're at 17%. And then the millennials, born 1980 and after, um, are at 10%. Have heard and remember the Great Commission. Now, the stats of how many do not know the Great Commission... They're all over 40%. They're at the bottom one. That's interesting, right? A lot of, well, our world all around us doesn't really know what the Great Commission is. But wouldn't it be cool if they experienced it? Wouldn't it be amazing if it clicked through someone living it out, as Jesus would, through a relationship that all of a sudden they understand what their life is all about in God's place? God's original idea we know that there's a world of sin all around us but is there a plan is there a God who loves us can we make things right are we stuck in our sins or is there a lifeline out there the great commission is part of that and the great commandment is what it looks like so these charts I think say a lot about our world around us about our lives as well and bottom line is we have a job to do Jesus gave it to us He said, go. It just wasn't to the originals, the original 12, or the 70, or the people at that time, but it was an ongoing commandment, an ongoing commission to go. It wasn't for the great Christians, or the great missionaries, or the great grandparents. I thought I'd throw that in there. As if someone else can do it, but not yourself. No, this is for everyone. It doesn't skip you as a Christian. It is your mission to go from Jesus. I like what Dan Spader says. He says, the Great Commission is great because it has to do with the gospel. Even so, it is an everyday commission for every believer for every moment of their everyday lives. That just sounds so everyday-ish, doesn't it? But it's not boring. I mean, if you were living out your life every day for the Lord, fulfilling the Great Commission, there's no life like it. It's exciting because it's about relationships. It's about helping people understand the gift of salvation, Jesus' love for them, what he did on the cross, and the hope that they can have? I mean, if we did that every day, we would never be bored as Christians. He also writes this, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment must be held together in one thought, because we love God, we love people. Because we love people, we make disciples. To try to make disciples without love gains nothing. And if we say we love people, but never try to make disciples... Then our love is a lie, and if we, as we love God, we will love people. As we love people the way God loves us, we will be engaged in making disciples. He says the two go together and make the journey simple, not complicated. So really, everyone here—if you know Jesus Christ, if you've invited him into your life, you've received forgiveness of sins, you made brand new on the inside—the Bible says and you just want to live from on a daily basis, you're a disciple. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. It's a journey one step forward each time. So what does that look like, this journey? Well, it's the come and see idea. It's the follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, and then go and bear much fruit. That's what these four chairs represent. Now, it is simple. It's not complicated, but it's not always easy or convenient, and it's certainly not comfortable. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, salvation is free, and I'm so thankful that it is, but discipleship will cost you your life. If you get serious about your salvation, if it really sinks in that you are a sinner lost in your sins, and this salvation gift is free, and you let God's love overwhelm you, how can you keep it to yourself? If you're going to share it with someone, there's going to be a cost, there's a sacrifice, there's a commitment, there's an urgency, there's a determination and a decision to do something about your faith. And it's to move forward in someone else's life that they too can make the connection between their lostness and what Jesus Christ has done for them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also says this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Wow, so there is a cost, but is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus Christ and making him known, loving God and simply loving others? Simply going to others who need to hear the good news? Is the cost worth it? And I guess you'd have to ask yourself, were you worth it? Are people worth it? Does God love you? Does God love the person who doesn't know him yet? And the answer is yes. So the cost shouldn't be an issue as Christians, but maybe it's the how. How do we do it? How do we share the love of Christ? How do we reach out into our world and really make a difference in a sensible way that people understand the free gift? is no strings attached. It's you receive it as a free gift from God, not from a church. Someone else can't give it to you. It's your choice. It's the person's decision to simply respond. But it is a choice on your part. Charles Swindle says, Whenever our Lord talked about discipleship, he always prefaced it with an if. Never with an emphatic assertion you must. Discipleship carries an option with it. Yes, we're saved, but the decision or the option is to go. That's our choice. Paul describes the reality of being a disciple this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying. Paul says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why we do it. I mean, God loves us, gave himself for me, for you. What do you do with that reality, with that truth, with that awesome, unconditional love? You have to share it. So every Christian is to be a disciple. I think we would all agree with that, that we are all to follow Jesus Christ and get to know him more every day. But it's beyond that. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, there's more to this relationship thing with the Lord. And that's why you're still here on planet Earth. It's not just to be saved, but it's to go and make disciples, to share the love of Jesus Christ in word and deed so others who are unbelievers who don't know Jesus Christ yet would come into that saving knowledge and make him Lord and Savior of their lives. So every Christian is to disciple someone. And I think this is where we hesitate. This is where we shut down, we back away, we, we tune the pastor out, we get squeamish, we get a little worried as to what's he going to ask us to do next? Well, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. You could just respond to what the Holy Spirit and God's Word is showing you and teaching you. And because you love God, I hope that you love people. Now, you may not like people but I hope you love people I mean that's where God's help comes in and I think as we love people then we start to like them certain individuals right and that's a whole other story but it's an important one well I want to talk about these chairs because you're probably wondering what's going on here and I just want to show you what this whole discipleship process looks like so this is the first one come and see This represents unbelievers who don't know Jesus Christ. They're looking for truth. They're looking all over the place for an answer that would satisfy. And they're in darkness and they're looking for the light. The next stage is this, that we are to follow Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. He says, come and see. In John chapter 1, we'll look at that in a few moments. Then he'll say, follow me. Once you made a decision, follow me. Start that relationship of discipleship. The next one is if you're going to follow me, it's not just about following me. I caught you, I fished for you. Now you have to go and fish for others to be fishers of men. If you grew up in Sunday school, there was that song, I Will Make You Fishers of Men, you know, and there's that movement, if you follow me, you know, and then all the actions. We're going to have the youth do that next Sunday morning. Pastor Kyle, just a heads up there. And then the last one is this go and bear fruit, and much fruit, and more fruit, a whole lot of fruit. What does that mean? That we mature, we go from not knowing to knowing to sharing to maturity. And that's a process. I don't know where you are sitting down on this chair. If you just want to take a look at that, can you identify where you are? If you're at the come and see and you don't know Jesus Christ yet, I don't want you to feel awkward. This is a good thing that you know, okay, that's where your chair is. But if you do identify with this, then I think God wants to move you that way. Not just to sit down and say, well, I guess I'm not that person or that person or or that mature super Christian over there. But he wants you to get out of this chair and go into the next one and follow him. And so this is just a really good picture process of what it means to not only know Jesus Christ but to make him known, to love God and to love others. So if you're at a different stage than the person beside you or who you came to church with or someone you've always looked up to, don't worry about it. If life is a journey and our spiritual life is a journey, as long as you're moving in the right direction, God's direction, that's what's most important. See, God loves missions, God is a God who would go a world out of his way, and he did, over and over and over, and then personally through Jesus Christ, who came to our world to live amongst us, so we can see God in action, and that we can know that God who gave His only Son, loved us so much that he died on the cross, that's what we're going to celebrate, at the end of service. He did something. He just didn't tell us the truth. He lived out the truth. And then he died for us so that we could know and experience the life-changing truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I was trying to figure it out and trying to to say, well, what do these chairs mean to us outside of these walls? So Pastor Kyle and I, we stuck a chair in my Volvo and we bombed around town and took a whole bunch of pictures. Recognize that tourist center? And we took a bunch of chair pictures. And then I thought, I think we should put the chair by the telephone booth. And I think there's only two telephone booths in, in Godrich. This is one. Of, oh, there might be one in the mall. And then there's one by the M&M's. So, I mean, everyone has cell phones and all that. But if you ever need a phone and you, your cell phone has died or your plans expired or whatever, I hope you have a quarter and then you can. Is it still a quarter? I haven't used one for a long time. It might be a loonie or a toonie now. But. Why the tourist center? It's because it represents people looking for something. Maybe they're out of town. Maybe they're coming, you know, they're moving into the area or they're here for a weekend and they're looking at what they can do. A lot of people go through life as tourists. They never settle down, they never find out where they want to hang their hat. And so they go through life looking for pleasure, not knowing that their greatest need is on the inside. And that there's only one person you can satisfy. So I stuck the chair by the belt because who are you going to call when, when times are really hard and difficult? I hope that the people you built relationships with, when push comes to shove, when they're thinking, who do I talk to? I mean, they could always talk to God. But if, if they were trying to think of a person, that they would call you. Now, why would they call you? I hope it's because you're a disciple following Jesus Christ who cared about them in the first place, who did something about it. Live your life in such a way that people, when they have a need in their life, that you come to mind, that they'll call you. See, that's the invitation. Come and see. We'll look at how Jesus played that out in his life. The next one is this. Recognize that place? That's at the square, right? And so, so much happens at the square where the community Just on Saturdays and Sundays, from the spring to the fall, they gather there. On Thursdays, there's outdoor concerts there. There's always something happening at the square. It's like the hub of Godrich. It's important. There's people all around us that feel alone, that they're looking for answers, that that go places, but maybe they don't go to a church. I hope that they see in you that you're a go-to place, that they'll come and see Christ in you out of a relationship. That's been changed and they see that in you. This next one is the lighthouse in the bottom right, you know, base of the lighthouse. It's a little dark. There's the chair. We had fun with this. I'm glad it didn't snow that day. But Jesus is the light of the world. And then he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Love and good deeds, Your works. That they'll give praise to God the Father. If we live our lives out casting a light into people's spiritual darkness. That they would see Christ in us and they'll ask the question. They'll come close. They'll see that their need can be met at a relationship. And so those are just pictures I hope that help us understand why it's important to Live out the great commandment and the great commission because people matter to God wherever they are. And there's people who can go through life and never knowing Jesus Christ and thinking that they're okay, but yet there's this missing peace in their hearts. And I love when the Bible says, He has placed eternity in the heart of man. You may look at someone and they may um, look successful in every way, but there's something missing in their life, a missing peace. And that's Jesus Christ and the relationship he wants to have with them. That's where you come in. That's your role. Your role in fulfilling the Great Commission by the Great Commandment. God wants to use you to make a difference in someone else's life. People are looking for truth. They want to have a spiritual conversation. Be that person who would build a relationship, engage with him, and provide some answers. Now, the Bible talks about man's condition. And it's not good enough to be good or nice to get into heaven. There's something more. That's just not true, that good people go to heaven. If that was the case, why did Jesus Christ, who is perfect, come and die die on the cross for us? It's because there's no one righteous. No one is perfect. No one is good enough. And that's why he came to save us from ourselves and from our sins. The Bible says of man's condition, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That without Christ, we follow the ways of the world. You can get lost in the traffic of people on the wide, wide road just going and continuing to live in sin and not knowing that they can turn around and run to the light of God's love. That there's a ruler of the kingdom of the air that has control over people. That those who are away from Christ don't even realize that they're spiritually dead or in bondage to Satan and his ploys for them. But when they start seeing something in you that's different, then they start looking at themselves and they think, something's missing. Why is that person so happy when the circumstances are the same that we're experiencing? Or when they're dealing with something so difficult and horrendous, but yet there's a peace in their life. See, when you live out your faith as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, people take notice of the real thing. And that's just on a daily basis. By nature, uh, humanity deserves God's wrath. They're hostile to God. Uh, The Bible says that they're an enemy of God and cannot please God no matter how hard they try. That's man's demise, man's condition, spiritually lost, very far away from God, but not totally. There is hope. So life without Christ means that we're spiritually dead, that we're alone, lost, unable to save ourselves, But we're not without hope. Chair one people, they are lost. They are spiritually dead. But Jesus says, come and see the real deal. Come and see what love looks like. Come and see what unconditional love has done for so many people. Come and experience my presence that I can give you peace in the storms of your life so that you will know that truth can set you free and have a right relationship with God. Jesus invites all to come to him. Howard Hendricks, a great Bible teacher, says this. The amazing thing is not that you die, but the amazing thing is that you live. We think we are in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dying. My friend, nothing could be further from the biblical truth. You and I are in the land of the dying and on our way to the land of the living. Just think about that for a moment. What a change of perspective. What does that do for you? You are in the land of the dying on the way to the land of the living. You've become new in Jesus Christ, a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And God has a plan for your life. Our world, yes, is spiritually lost. They are dying. But we need to move them towards the land of the living. That there is hope for them. And that's the process. If you look at John chapter 1. John the Baptist in verses 35 and on. It says the next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus. And this is in the wilderness. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. It's interesting. John had disciples. They were following him, which was customary in that time. Um, a person would identify a teacher of, of truth. The Pharisees had theirs. John the Baptist had his. And they, they followed certain individuals to learn from them, to become more like them, because they were seeking, they were looking for answers. They were trying to, to grow and to change So, Jesus has disciples, but here's the thing about, I mean, John has disciples, but here's the thing. He pointed them to Jesus. See, he knew that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. John was a pointer. And if that's all you do in this life is point people to Jesus Christ and say, there's Jesus, there's the Messiah, go follow him. I mean, everyone could do that. You don't have to be a theologian or a pastor or a super evangelist to point a finger to Jesus Christ. That your life would just point people simply by how you live and what you do on an everyday basis, like Dan Spader was saying. That's what discipleship, the discipleship thing is. It's an everyday relationship with the Lord that points people to Jesus Christ every day and, and in every way and any way. John the Baptist said, Behold, stop, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what do these two disciples do when John pointed the finger? They left John and they followed Jesus. And as they're following Jesus, Jesus turns and says, what do you want? Now, Jesus always knows what we want. He also knows what our greatest need is. But he starts where they are at. What do you want? Just a simple question. I don't know if they were caught off guard with the question, so they just said, well, we want to know where you live. But Jesus knew that there was more. He knew their greatest need. And here's what's important. He didn't tell them where he lived. Yeah, I just lived down that road. So does that answer your question? What did he say? Come and see. Let's spend time together. Let's go together where I live, sit down, have a talk. And the Bible says that they did that. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The day ended at 6 o'clock. They had two hours to talk with Jesus Christ, the one that John the Baptist pointed to, the one that they started to follow, not just to find out where he lived, but to find out who he was, what made him so important that John would say, stop following me and follow that guy. Each and every one of us should point away from ourselves and point to Jesus Christ. The idea of come come and see is just show up. Jesus said, "Now is the time. Don't come back tomorrow without spending time today." And so Jesus sat down and the Bible doesn't say what they talked about it, but it must have been an amazing conversation. Because the rest of that chapter says that Andrew, what did he do after that encounter? He was so excited he went and told his brother Simon, "We have found him." And then Andrew says, "What? Come and see." Isn't that amazing? When you find Jesus Christ to be the answer, you have to go tell someone else to simply come and see. And that's how it works. See, Jesus knew that they were looking for answers, that they needed the Messiah, that they needed to follow him, but he wanted to spend time with them. They had questions that only Jesus could answer, and I want to highlight just three things. Jesus gave up the splendors of heaven to come to our world to show and tell God's love. And his plan for dying humanity to be that sacrifice on the cross. He developed a relationship with Andrew and John. He spent that time with them, invested in them, and their lives were changed. He met their needs, he cared about them as people. And they found what they were looking for, not just where he lived, and their greatest need was Jesus. In your conversations with people, as God connects you with someone else, as maybe a circumstance becomes a God incidence, really, and you start thinking, they're asking me these questions, but there's something more, there's a need in their life. What people want and what they need is really different, but their need is always the same. People always need to know about Jesus Christ and the truth of who he is, what he has done, And what he wants to do in that individual's life. So Jesus said, come and see. Let's spend time together. So how about you? What do others need to see in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? I hope in you, and this is again a process, that they'll see in you a friend who cares about them where they are. Jesus spent time with sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. He didn't stay in the synagogue He was there, but he was also out and about in people's homes and on the street. And he cared about all people, no matter who they were. He was a friend of sinners. The second thing is he prepared himself. It's interesting that even though at the age 12, he amazed the people in the synagogue. But then from age 12, we hear nothing again until age 30. He was experiencing life between that time. He was growing in the Bible does say he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. but his ministry didn't start till he was age thirty, and then he only had like three, three and a half years of ministry, right? But it was the timing, and there's a process involved, and so he was preparing himself, and then he went into the wilderness and was tempted and grew stronger and used God's word and relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he was equipped and then he went into ministering to his world around him. He understood his world. He understood the needs of the people and he wanted to make a difference. Same with us. The Bible says that we are to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give them the reason for the hope that we have. And we're to do it, the Bible says, in gentleness and respect. That's out of relationship. Also, our, our friends who are unbelievers need us as Christian friends To make themselves available and to spend time with them. That's what Jesus said when he said, come and see. Those two hours grow into years of discipleship opportunities. And then as well, the fourth thing is to share the good news of God's saving grace at that time. At the right time. To make people want to have more than just their wants answered but their needs addressed. You think of the, the lady, the Samaritan woman who was at the well. She was there at a time when no one else would be there, but then Jesus shows up. She didn't live a squeaky clean lifetime. She had multiple husbands, and you know, her story was one that you want to run away from, really. But Jesus spent time with her, and then he, he went from asking for a cup of water to describing himself as the living water. And he gave her an appetite for living water himself. He spent the time with her. She realized that this person was different than any other man. And she ran back into the village and said, I have found, I think I have found the Messiah. Could this be him? And she invited the whole town out to where Jesus was. I think you can go really far with people if you just say, come and see. Let's spend time together. Let's care. Let's invest. Let's get interested in our lives and look for those opportunities just to share your story with people. To come and see is something that each and every one of us can do. So invite people into your life. Maybe it's for a meal in your home. Maybe it's going out to a restaurant or going to an event together or a church special or ball hockey or an Eve of Christmas Eve service or paintball so you could shoot the pastor or whatever. To do something that you can interact with them or go golfing or on their terms. Like, just spend the time with them. Invest in them. Don't give up if they say no the first time. You know it takes for big purchases an individual to come back full circle to something about seven times before they decide to buy something? Unless you're really impulsive. Are you impulsive? Put up your hand. <laughs> it takes, like, a lot of time just coming back. So if, if you... Invest in a person, invite them, and they say no the first time. Don't give up on them. Keep the relationship alive and talk to them and take an interest in them without any strings attached. In time, they'll respond, if not to you, someone else. And if we plant seeds and more people plant seeds all around, then all of a sudden things will start making sense and they'll think, oh, that's what a Christian is. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I need something like that. They may not use the right words, but they'll know that what you have is real and they want it. And they need it. And then to love them with God's love. The Bible said Jesus was moved with compassion. Maybe that's what you need today. To be moved with compassion. And then to be a friend. Well, I want you to take a look at these chairs here. And just to highlight a few things. I was going to pick those nice, comfy chairs. Right? Aren't these great? Now... These, I I could sit in here all day. Maybe I should have done my sermon from here. But if I did, it would probably be like a two-hour sermon. So I don't think that would be a good idea. The other thing about these soft chairs are they're really comfortable, and I can get satisfied and complacent that I don't want to move to the next chair. After all, isn't this chair serving the purpose? And as long as I'm in the chair, I'm safe. But there's a lot more to God's design and plan for your life than being comfortable Actually, if you're comfortable today, maybe he wants to make you a little more uncomfortable so you move from one chair to the other. So I I was going to use the ones behind me, but then I changed my mind. And um, then I noticed, well, four chairs are important, just not two. Like It's not the unsaved and the saved, us against them. There's a lot of people sitting on chair one in our world around us, and they need to see Christ in you. They need to come and see. But they also know that need to know that there's hope that they should move into the follow me, that they can get out of one chair and onto another. The other thing about a hard chair is your posture. You're a little more alert and attentive to what's going on. You're a little more aware of the hardness of the chair, but the importance of maybe I'm not supposed to be here forever. Maybe there's another chair that I'm to go to next. It's not just about following God, knowing God, but it's also about making him known. So you go to the next chair of follow me and fishing for people. All of a sudden, it's not just about you anymore. It's about the lost. And you're willing to give up things and to sacrifice and to make that added commitment and to go and fish for men. And then there's the last one. To go and bear fruit. See, when you arrive here and you're a mature Christian, you don't think, well, look how far I've come. I can just sit here and I can just relax. No, the idea is to go. Remember the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, to go into all the world teaching, obeying, interacting, sharing, loving, inviting people to come. I want you to look back at chair number one. And if someone comes to mind even now, won't you just pray for them? When you just say, Jesus, help me to be the friend, the Christian friend, that takes an interest in them because you love them, because you have a plan for their lives and whatever it takes, that I can invite them to come and see you, to know you, so that they can follow you, that they in turn can share their story like the Samaritan woman with someone else who needs to know Jesus Christ, and that they can mature and bear much fruit, much and more fruit, And that's about people that more and more can hear the amazing story how God can take a person who's lost in sin all the way over there and has a plan for their lives to move them forward. There's a simple app out there uh, called Three Circles. And if you're wondering, how can I share my faith? How can I you know, get the words and to sort of tell people about Jesus Christ. It's a really simple thing. And here's the, the chart. Maybe I'll just read this out. How many times in everyday conversations do people engage you about their problems or challenges? It's amazing how often people share their heartaches regarding their marriages, children, finances, addictions, depression, you name it. People are hurting and they need hope. This conversation guide will help you turn conversations about problems into conversations about Jesus. So you start with God's design, how sin came into the world and people are broken. And that they could repent and believe, respond to the gospel. They could recover and pursue God's design for them. And it's a circle. Something really easy that you can just put on your phone. And, and use when you're talking to people. And then the, it breaks it down. how What are the, some of the next steps? And you could share those with people. Simply on your phone. Or what's next? Encourage them for prayer and church and Bible and sharing their experiences. So this is all the come and see. And to, this is what, what discipleship is, about sharing the good news with others. And you could just find that on that app. I can give it to you later or make a photocopy of it. But coming back here, who in your life is looking for answers? And can they find truth in your life that you can say, come and see? Come and see Jesus, know him and his plan for your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads at this point. I want to simply ask a question. Do you know Jesus Christ today or are you at the come and see stage in your life? You've heard of Jesus and the great commission you've never heard of, the great command, which is you've heard of Jesus but never understood his love for you and his plan for your life. But you know that what you want and what you need is really different. What you want may be just happy and to, to have circumstances change and, and improvement. But that's, why not, that's not why Jesus Christ died. He died to change you because your greatest need was forgiveness of sins and to be made brand new. That's your need. Is there anyone here that says, yes, that's my need. I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I've heard I've experienced what love looks like here. I just sense that God is talking to my heart. You might be thinking, and, and there's hope. There's hope that Jesus will forgive me. Is there anyone that would say, yes, remember me in prayer? And just put up your hand. Let me see it, and you can put it down. I'd love to talk to you after the service as well. I guess the next question would be, have you grown complacent in your life, and you're a Christian? Yes, you are a Christian, and yes, you are following Jesus. But there's something in you that God is saying there's so much more in your Christian walk and there's another chair you simply need to move into. Is God speaking to you? Is God challenging you to do something more about your faith? And if so, just say, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that I know you, but help me to make you known. To go from one chair, being a little settled in, maybe not caring as much or not knowing how to do it, but God, help me to grow in my faith as a disciple because I want to share Christ with others so that they, too, can follow you. I pray, oh God, by your Spirit, you would search our hearts, that you would help us in our walk as Christians, receiving forgiveness, asking forgiveness, moving in the right direction towards you and all that you've planned for us. Help us as individuals. Help us as a church, too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to come to the front. And Judy, if you could just play something quietly, that would be great. Our communion uh, trays have two cups in. The top is the juice and the bottom is the bread. So you could simply take both cups and just hold on to them until everyone has been served and then the servers will come back and we'll take together. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you even prayed that prayer this morning, we invite you to join with us. This is something we share together, recognizing that it's called communion. It's a, it's a supper. It's a reflection. It's looking at our lives and saying, thank you, God, for forgiving our sins. Forgive our sins. Once again, help us to live for you. Help us to have that hope burn in our hearts that we would live for you each day. Jesus, keep me near.